This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our May 7th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. And as always, our aim is to provide you with some straight answers and some information and perspective that will help you make better investment decisions. And we're working along with you to help you secure your financial independence. And that's what this is all about, right? That's what retirement is. It's financial independence. And that means different things for different people. But in the end, the end uh, the means to that end is always making smart financial decisions, whether that's saving or investing, okay? And that's our main mission here on the program each and every day, and as well as in our professional portfolio management practice, right? Being financial advisors is we're trying to help our clients make better decisions, and we help them uh, by giving them direct advice as well as managing particular portfolios, but maybe the most valuable truth we can pass along is there are no shortcuts. This is something, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. You're, you're not going to uh, retire in a month or two months if you don't have much money, right? This isn't the cryptocurrency space, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people uh, made decent money on that, but very few select people. There's probably a lot of FOMO out there, fear of missing out on that space as well. But when it comes to investing, real investing, it it comes down to risk versus reward. Uh, It comes down to research. It comes down to understanding pros and cons of everything that you're looking at, right? Because... Every investment has its risks and rewards. And it's important to stay focused and uh, have your attention to what matters. And practice discipline in order to succeed. And that's really, I think, the toughest part is the discipline. There's so much noise out there from TV and internet and friends and family there's a lot of hype, uh, especially in certain areas of the market. You talk about cryptocurrency, you talk about uh, technology stocks in, in a lot of ways. There's one particular car company in California uh, that we could talk about if anybody wants to call in and discuss uh, that certainly has a lot of that hype around it with not a lot of substance. Uh, and you know, our job is to help you decipher what the substance is. And that's what I've learned over the years is substance wins out in the end not stories not excitement not emotions but substance earnings cash flows dividends real businesses real investments so that's what we are here to help you with is to give you some perspective and at least put you in the right frame of mind I think is the most important thing you always want to have the right frame of mind so that you're it's not what you're thinking it's how you're thinking so I, I hope that gives you some perspective of what we talk about each and every day on invest talk and ultimately I want to hear from you I don't answer your questions 
so we can get to uh, our, our number one job. It's answering those things that are on your mind and answering our questions, whether live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. That's how to reach us anytime. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is uh, John from Michigan. I wanted to call and get your, some feedback on the metric EV to EBITDA, the enterprise value to EBITDA. I've been looking at some of the companies trying to find value right now with the volatility has been a lot easier. And some companies that I bought recently all range in that seven low sevens to high sevens, like AT&T, Verizon, Southwest Airlines, L Brand, CVS, all of those right now are in that low sevens to high sevens on the EV to EBITDA. It seems like that is a really good metric for value. I don't hear anybody talk about it or pay much attention to it. Maybe you could talk about the benefits of looking at that and how good of a value indicator it is. You know, obviously looking at the big picture at the other metrics, but it really seems to indicate value to me. Look forward to your answer. Thanks. Uh, I like the question, love the question. That's actually my favorite valuation metric. And what he's talking about is <clears throat> enterprise value. It's a ratio between enterprise value uh, and EBITDA. And what enterprise value is, is a lot of people think that the market cap of a company is its value, right? And a more accurate measurement, I think, is enterprise value. And that adds in net debt, right? So if a company is worth its market cap, and market cap is its number of shares outstanding times the current price, right? So say uh, it's trading for a billion dollars. And you're looking at earnings per share in relation to that market cap, earnings per share or, or, or revenues in relation to that market cap. But if they have, say, $500 million in cash on their balance sheet, that's real value. That's obvious, tangible value. Okay, And so that $500 million in cash would be subtracted from that market cap, and the enterprise value would be $500 million, right? The difference. Whereas, say they had a billion dollar market cap, but they also had a billion dollars in debt. That's a very different company. Those are two very different companies, right? Where half of its value is in cash, and another company with the same market cap has a billion dollars in debt. Okay, so its enterprise value would be two billion. And so, if you wanted to say take over the company, right, buy everything and pay off all its debts, it'd be a lot more value to buy the one with a bunch of cash, a lot easier than it will be to the one that has a lot of debt in its balance sheet. Now, obviously, those are two extreme examples, but that shows you what enterprise value means. It's it's uh, market cap plus net debt. And then EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And so the reason I like that figure is because uh, tax rates change, tax rates change, uh, depreciation uh, changes, amortization changes, and interest changes if you pay off all its debts, right? So EBITDA is its cash flow uh, from just its its operations. Uh, now, certainly, uh, it's not the perfect metric, but it, it strips out a lot of those non-cash items or items that if you just took over the whole company you can pay off the debt, uh, you'll, you'll know what the cash flow is. And so it's a kind of a cleaner figure. And so that's why I like both of those. Uh, and, and using those as a metric and, and a ratio really tells me, I do think that is one of the better 
valuation ratio metrics that are out there uh, and that's one that we lean on and if it's you know you're buying at seven times enterprise valued EBITDA that's a pretty good ratio you know a lot of tech companies are trading at the hundreds uh, enterprise valued EBITDA so anything under 10 gets me interested anything under 12 you know is reasonable uh, and obviously the lower you go uh, the cheaper the valuation is so I like that call uh, getting a little into the weeds there but it's something that uh, I think everybody should be aware of and understand when they're trying to find good values out there in the marketplace now, have you attended one of our wealth webinars? These are one-hour online educational events that cover a wide range of investing and financial and economic topics. We can talk about uh, stock picking as well as uh, economic figures. Uh, there's a lot of different topics that we broach. Uh, and there's never a cost. We always allow time for questions during the hour. We might even go an hour and a half this time. Uh, it's coming up at the end of this month, and we're presenting one. Uh, I hope you'll sign up for it. Take your investing skills to the next level using fundamental and technical analysis. You know, long-term investors rely on fundamental analysis, right? earnings, the, the the strength of the company. And these tools let you look under the hood, see the company's management structure, the, 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 how, the strength of their business, revenues, income, growth rates, etc. So the goal is to determine if a, a company is a good value and if it's just a good company over, overall. Because ultimately that's what you want. You want strong companies. But you also want them at good values. So we're going to dig into earnings per share, P ratios, maybe enterprise value to EBITDA, dividend yield. Understanding how to read these will make it easier for you to compare two companies. Now you re also really can't pick stocks without fundamental analysis, but you also have to look at technical analysis, price trends. Now as Steve explained on Friday, technical analysis doesn't tell you whether or not to buy a stock but it can tell you when to buy it. Now we don't promise in an hour you're going to be a master, but at least we'll get you familiar with what to look at, what to consider, what to do more homework on. And once again, give you a foundation for how to think. Because that's always most important. So always, you know, you lead a, uh, you can give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, he can eat for a lifetime, right? So that's what we try to do during this hour, is try to teach you as much as we can in that hour, maybe hour and a half, and help you understand how to use two of the most powerful analysis tools that investors have, technical and fundamental analysis. The webinar is May 30th, end of the month, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. It's free, but you do need to register. To do that, just go to investtalk.com, click on the Invest Talk tab. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm financial advisor Justin Klein. Now, I talked earlier about the discipline factor when it comes to making good financial decisions, and Warren Buffett puts it directly as only he can. We don't have to be smarter than the rest. We have to be more disciplined than the rest. Do you have any questions that you need to answer? I'll do my best if you give us a call. 888 chart is how to reach us right now.
listening to Invest Talk Answers to Important Questions. What's your talking point? Variable annuity, closed end bond fund, Roth IRA. I rolled my 401k over. I'm looking at retirement in six to nine months. Get your question to us now at 888 99CHART. That's how you can reach Invest Talk anytime. Thanks for taking the call. Let's go to Mike in Illinois. How you doing, Mike? Hello, Justin. Uh, Justin, I'm calling and hoping to get your evaluation of a stock. The stock is Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. The symbol is RCL. RCL. Uh, I actually went on one of the cruises uh, five, six years ago. Uh, I I liked it. I had fun. Uh, This is... It operated three global cruise brands, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity Cruises, and Azamar Club Cruises. Their revenues and earnings have uh, been, well, at least their earnings have been on the rise pretty dramatically. Uh, they, own, they made less than $2 a share in 2012, and next year they're supposed to make over $10 a share. So certainly uh, a strong operator, uh, good brand in an area that uh, has consistency uh, and has a, a client base that I think is growing with uh, baby boomers retiring. I think cruises will uh, will and remain and are uh, popular and are have, have a lot of loyalty. A lot of people go back. They're, they're good values when it comes to uh, uh, vacations. So I like the name overall. Uh, are you looking to buy this short-term, medium-term, long-term? Oh no, I'm a I'm a long-term investor. Actually, uh, I already own the stock, but uh, I uh, was looking to add to my position. Uh, sold the put. Well, uh, it it, ju- it so just recently. I I like the idea of selling puts on it. I'll tell you that much. I, I like selling uh, options, uh, and. I, I like the name. Uh, I do think it's not cheap at these levels. Uh, enterprise value is 11, uh, which is okay. Er, operating earnings yield is about 7.6, which is, once again, okay. Modest amount of debt. Um, so, you know, it, it, it looks like there is downside from here. Um, but I like the idea of selling puts, you know, $100 a share, $95 a share in that range. Those are the kind of strikes I would be selling on. Thanks for the call, Mike. You're listening to Invest Talk. If you have a question, I want to hear from you. Give me a call right now at 888-99. Let's get back to Invest Talk, made possible each day by KPP Financial, matching investment programs to real-life situations and real people, open to questions and ready to go the extra mile to help you feel confident with your retirement plan. Learn more about KPP's investment programs. Go to investtalk.com when you're ready and click on the Investments tab. And now let's hear your question, 888-99-CHART. Factor investing, that's what we're talking about today, and this is a popular term, a newly popular term uh, in the investing world, uh, especially with the advent of ETFs. Uh, There's a lot of fun families out there that are trying to rightfully improve on 
the idea of just indexing. Uh, and we've talked multiple times about over-indexing. And what factor investing is trying to do is create a strategy that helps choose securities based on certain attributes that historically are associated with higher returns. You know, and, the, and this is uh, this is simply uh, has to do with past performance. And to me, this is just active investing, uh, and it's doing it in a kind of a systematic way, right? Uh, so there's high dividend. Uh, ETFs out there that are only investing in, say, the 100 highest yielding stocks within the S&P. Okay? And so it's using dividend yield as the factor to choosing a particular investment. Okay? So, and, and there's different uh, ways to uh, decide what to put in a portfolio could be macroeconomic factors, it could be style factors. So uh, macroeconomic factor could be credit, could be inflation, it could be liquidity. Uh, a style factor would be value versus growth or momentum is one factor to consider. Uh, so it's really designed to enhance returns and manage, manage risk is the idea of it, right? is to not just improve returns, but hopefully risk-adjusted returns. And there are different foundations of factor investing. Like I said, one could be value, and that could be aiming for all the stocks that trade under a certain uh, P mul multiple, or a certain book value, or once again, have high dividends or cash flows, right? So there's that. So there's the value side of the marketplace. That's a factor. There's also size. It could be uh, small cap stocks. Uh, typically, long term, have higher returns than larger cap stocks because they have more room to grow, right? But they also tend to be more volatile. So simply smaller stocks can have larger returns long term. And there's momentum, and this is what stocks outperformed over the past X time period. It could be one year, three months, to three years, whatever that is. And each ETF can have its own criteria. Then there's quality. You know, low debt companies, uh, companies with strong growth, strong corporate governance, maybe strong profitability. All of these things can indicate quality. And they, uh, the factors that they're using uh, can change between ETFs. And that's why you have to do your research. Uh, and then there's volatility. There's low volatility ETFs, right? There's a lot of those out there. So factor investing is, to me, just automated active investing. Uh, and, and these are the same factors that we talk about on the show and why we say use all of these matter, not just momentum, not just value, not just quality, it's all these things combined, and I think you can do even better. Easy way out factor investing, but you can do even better if you do your own research. Let's go to Glenn in Pleasanton. How are you doing, Glenn? Good. How are you? I just have a real short question. With uh, AT&T, sure. it's dividend up to 6% at the time, and that's normal. I'm, I'm a big dividend investor, so is, that, is it mm -hmm. a good time to load up on AT&T now? Uh, the reason I don't like AT&T uh, is simply because of the competitive environment that it's in, 
right? It's very capital intensive. And you have now Sprint and T-Mobile combining to make a more formidable uh, uh, competitor, as well as Verizon. So you're going to have this three-headed oligopoly in the industry, uh, and one is really pushing down on price. And uh, that's why you're seeing earning or, or sales fall 3% year over year, and they're going to have to become more efficient. Um, you know, it, is it okay at 6%? You know, it's in a support. Um, but is that 6% safe is a big question for me. You know, they have a lot of debt. Uh, their market cap is about $200 billion, but their enterprise value is $312 billion. So they have about $115 billion in debt on their balance sheet. And <clears throat> their payout ratio on a cash flow basis is about 66%. So, you know, as the cost of debt rises, as interest rates rise, that's an issue. Um, you know, I still don't love it. I just don't think it's cheap enough for the environment that it's entering. And I don't see this competitive pressure easing up. Um, and so, should it be on your watch list? Sure. It has some merits, has certainly value. Um, but I'm not buying it yet, even though it is into some support. Um, but keep it on your watch list. Thanks for the call, Glenn. This is Invest Talk. We're not only open to your questions, we depend we depend on it. We depend on it to help us make sure we're providing the right information that you need. So give us a call. 888 chart is how to get through right now to Invest Talk. Our podcast continues on next. It may be hard to believe, but the average 401k investor misses out on over $5,000 per year in investment gains. How come? Poor timing and subpar fund choices. That's the big challenge that is being met now with active 401k. The typical 401k plan has limited choices. People don't know what to do, and that's exactly why Active 401k was devised. It may be just what you've needed. It ranks your current options within your current employer's plan, and then all you do is log in and make the changes. You'll be told exactly what to buy, what percentages, and what funds. This program is offered by invitation to KPP clients and limited number of our listeners, too. And if you'd like to see more about it, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Investments tab and then look for Active 401k. Now let's get back to our podcast. This is Invest Talk, and Justin is here to help you work through your money issues from precious metals to preferred stocks. Any topics open for discussion? The number to reach Justin right now, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Charvesh in Texas. How are you doing, Charvesh? Hey, pretty good, Justin. Love your show. I had a question regarding NVIDIA. I was okay. uh, looking, you know, the market has been really volatile, especially the tech sector, and I wanted to get your opinion on maybe getting some profit uh, out with their earnings call coming in on 11th of May. So I wanted to get your opinion if it's a good time to take some profit out and uh, and kind of, you know, maybe diversify a bit more into value stocks. 
Uh, I do. I do think it's a great time to be cutting your growth stock position, especially NVIDIA. I mean, this is a stock that's had massive uh, returns, about 1,000% about over the past uh, uh, three years or so. And, you know, it's a good company, uh, but the valuation right now is very stretched. And, and, and historically, chips, the chip sector is very volatile. Uh, you know, they have high operating leverage, meaning uh, they have a lot of cost uh, associated with running factories and things like that. And this the small dip in demand can really uh, wreak havoc on profits. Uh, in the same way that a small increase, or even in this case, a, d a strong increase in uh, demand for NVIDIA chips creates a lot of profit. Um, so historically, they are very, very volatile. And uh, you're starting to see a slowdown in their growth. Uh, you know, this time last year, January, uh, first quarter of 2017, revenues up 55%, and earnings were up 183%. And the first quarter of uh, 2018, revenues were up 34%, and earnings were up 59%, which is good, but you're seeing a slowdown in growth. Um, and that's why you've kind of seen the stock kind of taper off over the past uh, six months or so, just kind of uh, yeah. roughly flat. Or so, and the whole chip sector is starting to to weaken. Uh, so I do think this is a great time to be uh, cutting your position ahead of earnings uh, and reallocating to the value side of the market. All right, appreciate it. Is, uh, looking at the technicals, is there any uh, uh, like um, resistance point that you can uh, you know kind of suggest like to sell at? Well, it's up there. You know, it's up uh, about four percent today to two hundred forty-eight dollars a share. Its fifty-two week high is two fifty or two fifty-four fifty. So uh, that's definitely going to be some uh, resistance up in that area. So uh, absolutely, that's uh, that. That's, it's already kind of in that 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 uh, resistance band. Appreciate your Thank you. Thank you, Justin. N n no problem. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Anthony in Hayward. How you doing, Anthony? Good. Hi, Justin. Um, I have a question about 529. Uh, I have one for my daughter. Okay. She's about four years away from college. Um, now, I do have about a quarter of my portfolio not not invested in uh, stocks or uh, bonds. So I was wondering mm -hmm. how, what you know, if you have any suggestion as to where I could uh, put them. And I think probably the most simplest way to put this maybe is um, the uh, investments that they provide is uh, it's all Vanguard and I guess the group of choice is uh, should I focus on value or middle small cap or more of the growth side or as a fourth option start looking at some of these more conservative portfolios that they have where they have bonds mixed in I would go with the latter. Uh, you know, you said she's how how many years away from college? About four years. Yeah. So you're starting to get into that that area where you want to be preserving capital uh, more than you want to be risking capital, especially this late in the cycle. Uh, and you know, it, it, by the, t the odds are between now and the time she goes to college, we'll have some sort of a, a bear market. And we'll have some sort of a recession between now and you know four years from now. So you are you know especially with the Fed tightening and you know the the economy still kind of uh, muddling along. And I, I think this is a good time to be more conservative. So I would use some 
short to intermediate term uh, bond funds, uh, maybe if they have a conservative fund available out there, I, I would go with that and, and try to, especially with that 25% portfolio, because theoretically you're going to be using 25% of that for her first year of college, correct? Yes, yes. And, it's, and you know, the other 75 is mainly in uh, stocks, uh, mainly in, uh, you know, the Vanguard mm -hmm. Index Funds, um, uh, mm -hmm. and actually value and mid-cap is in the mix. So um, mm -hmm. I guess having the 25, I guess that would make more sense to have the 25 be in something more uh, conservative. Um, now, would you say something Ex more like a 75% bond uh, mixed in with a 25% stock, kind of a balanced portfolio? Or really focused yeah, more on the yeah. Bond I would side. I would start moving I would start moving to like a fifty fifty stock and bond portfolio. Um, you know that's okay. uh, that's because I, I the way I look at it is similar to somebody approaching retirement, right? Uh, somebody yeah. approaching retirement, they're going to start needing this money, and while they want it to grow, they also want a portion of it to be conservative and stable, no matter what the the overall market does. So what you what you want to make sure you also don't do is don't go into high yield bonds. Make sure they're either government bonds, high-grade corporate bonds, things like that, that are going to remain uh, relatively stable uh, no matter what the economy does. So uh, make sure you, you, you avoid the high-yield market as well. Now, they have something like an international bond index fund, it's all, you know, albeit just 10%. Do you, uh, is that mm -hmm. Does that tend to be more on the riskier side in the bond uh, 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 well, you're thing. adding another layer. You're adding another layer of risk of currency risk. So, mm -hmm. if the dollar appreciates and other currencies depreciate that it's invested in, uh, that's going to be a drag on performance. Uh, it depends on what that is invested in. Is it an emerging market debt? Is this uh, European debt? Uh, how spread? spread out and diversified is the portfolio so uh, is should it be an option I actually don't think it's a bad option to include that in part of the bond uh, allocation but I definitely wouldn't put all of it in there right okay well it sounds like I got some homework to do but uh, thank you so much appreciate it no problem Anthony thanks for the call 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question. We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, do it sooner rather than later. Let's talk a, a little bit about, hmm, let's talk about inflation. And I think this is pretty interesting, considering the talk of inflation is heating up, right? You're seeing the value uh, or the, the price of a lot of commodities, not just oil, but copper and uh, uh, aluminum. Uh, gold is even relatively strong, uh, definitely up more than the overall equity indexes for the year. Uh, and you're starting to see inflation pick up. All the inflation measurements are starting to pick up. And what's, what's more interesting is recent signs of cost pressures on companies. And this comes from uh, this comes from the earnings calls that are coming out for the first quarter and discussions about the cost of freight is rising. Think of oil, right? Uh, and and the cost of the input cost of a lot of goods and a lot of consumer goods. Uh, Treehouse Foods is one example. It's a, it's a two billion dollar company. 
but they have $6 billion a year in overall revenue. Now, the stock's been down a lot because of uh, the industry as a whole. Consumer staples has not done uh, very well recently. But a lot of that has to do with the pressures from these higher freight costs, higher commodity costs, higher input costs. And now they're talking about pushing these costs through to consumers. And typically they have a good track record of being able to do that because these are, while you know, the, the, the cost of one bag of cookies might go up, uh, if the input costs for all those cookie makers are going up, the odds are you're not going to skip out on cookies, you're just going to pay up a little bit more, right? Uh, and that goes for a lot of basic uh, goods, cheese and meats and, and dairy and produce, etc. All these costs are going higher. Part of that has to do with a weaker dollar, uh, and part of that has to do with higher commodity prices. Uh, and this is going to and start going to start. You're just going to show up in the grocery store first, uh, and what that ultimately is going to do is crimp the consumer a little bit. Right, they're going to be constrained a little bit more when it comes to spending, and discretionary spending is likely going to actually be hurt more than consumer staple spending, right? Uh, people still need to eat, and a lot of these costs are coming through to your food, and you'll be seeing that very, very soon, if you aren't already. Uh, and what, like I said, sometimes that's not just input costs of the actual food, but it's getting the food to your store. So be aware of that, that inflation is picking up, and this is not a good thing. And this is not just anecdotal. This is companies actually saying they're passing along these costs to consumers. And this isn't a good thing, not only for the Fed, who's now kind of hit the inflation target, and they're looking to tighten policy because of it. And bond prices hate inflation. It's not just the Fed raising rates, but it's also inflation. Inflation is the enemy of the bond market, and they don't like to see that. Now, many investors love to ride the trend of a stock, but they sometimes ride too long and end up getting out with little or no profit, or maybe a loss, because they they fall in love with the stock, right? You buy a stock, it goes up 20%, you love it, it's making you all this money. And then it starts going down, you say, oh, it'll be fine, and then it ends up a loss, right? And part of that is chart reading and going back to having discipline. So we're going to talk about this and many other topics as well on our free Invest Talk Wealth webinar. It's coming up May 30th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. It is free, and all you have to do is sign up and join us on May 30th online. You can register right now on investtalk.com. Click on the Invest Talk tab. Do you need help with your 401k? Active 401k from KPP Financial helps you make the best possible choices from your employer's plan. Active 401k gives you the guidance, and then you make the changes. Active 401k keeps it current, too. If you'd like to know more about it and how it works, just go to investtalk.com. 
click on the Investments Programs tab, then Active 401k. Hey guys, um, this is Calvin. Uh, I was just looking um, for my individual brokerage account. I was looking into Nutrisystem. I wanted you guys to see what you thought about it. Um, that is N-T-R-I as a stock symbol. I noticed some great ROEs and undervaluation on the PE for this industry. Thanks. All right, he's looking at Nutrisystem Incorporated. They're, uh, they market weight loss products and services via the internet, phone, QVC network, as well as independent distributors. Uh, earnings have been on the rise basically since 2012, and they're supposed to go to $2.06 a share this year, $2.39 a share next year. Stock's trading for $33.50. A Ford PE somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 17 or so, 16, 17. Yields 3%. Uh, the biggest issue and the reason it's dropped from this 52-week high of uh, roughly $68 a share uh, all the way down to a 52-week low of $26 a share and now we're at $33 a share uh, after this recent bounce over the past week or so. Uh, and the reason is is because earnings, while they were, and this is a great example of how fast companies can fall when growth slows. Uh, a year ago, in the March quarter, revenues were up 31%, earnings were up 54%. This last quarter, March quarter, revenues were down 1% and earnings were down 55%. And if you're watching on our YouTube live stream, you'll be able to see these figures uh, that I'm showing you. Return on equity is high at 51%, but I do like to see kind of what that looks like long term is important to me is what is that long term profitability metric because uh, these things can be very volatile and I would want to know why why are revenues down 1% year over year why are earnings down 55% is this a one time event is, do they lose a big distribution uh, <coughs> I, I don't know you know big distribution channel I'm not sure so I want to know why that is. Uh, it's uh, that'd be very important to me. Um, you know, three percent yield is nice, uh, but if earnings fall fifty-five percent consistently, then I bet you that three percent yield is uh, not very sustainable. Um, and yeah, I'm going back uh, looking at return on invested capital or return on equity. Sorry, it's long term. It stayed. Mm, yeah, it's been negative for many years. Uh, uh, it, it's pretty volatile, and it's starting to turn down again. So that worries me. Uh, a lot of these names uh, have volatile histories, and that's why you want to look at it through different cycles. How consistent is their business is very, very important. And I want to know why are earnings and revenue down. Uh, otherwise, you know, enterprise value EBIS 10, it's okay, uh, but not super cheap in light of the current earnings figures. So I need to dig in to that a little bit more. If you want to email me, go to investtalk.com, click on contact Justin, it'll go to me and uh, we can have a little more in-depth discussion and do a little research, figure out why that's happening. Now we have time for your call as we move into the last segment of the hour. You can check in now. We have about seven minutes left. You can give us a call at 888 chart Join in on the discussion. Let's get back to your calls on Invest Talk for this Monday, May 7th. Since markets are always uncertain, 
You should devise a portfolio strategy that can survive bear markets and thrive in bull markets. How to prepare for the coming bear market. That's next time. You have a question right now for Justin, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Give us a call. Now, there are four factors that are contributing to people working longer, and this is according to a research paper from a professor at the Wesley College in Wesley, Massachusetts that was uh, recently distributed by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And there's four reasons. One is education. And people who have more education tend to retire later in life. Now, one of the reasons is because they tend to be working less strenuous jobs, right? Uh, more desk jobs. And so their their bodies don't wear out as fast as, or their, their, their minds don't wear out as fast as many other uh, people's jobs uh, or bodies wear out when they're doing physical labor, right? Um, so if you earn higher degrees, you tend to work longer. And part of that also could be the fact that you're earning more, so the incentive to work longer tends to be better. Also, women are more involved in the workplace. And the research suggests that spouses tend to retire around the same time. So now, you know, it used to be where men just worked and worked and where they feel like retiring and their spouse was uh, many times staying at home and they just retired. Whereas now both uh, husband and wife tend to be working and they plan their retirement together. So if one's not ready to retire, then the other one kind of just keeps working, right? So that's interesting. Another is shift to 401ks. Uh, it used to be where uh, you had a, a pension plan and you worked up until the retirement date of that pension plan and then working beyond that didn't really add to your pension benefit. And so there wasn't a lot of, in, there was a lot less incentive to continue to work past your retirement date besides just making money, right? Which your pension pretty much covered that. So now in a 401k, it's up to them. And there's no age specific. The more you work, the more you're willing, you're able to save in a 401k, and that can go on for a long, long time. So there's a lot of incentive to continue to work. Then is Social Security reform. Retirement age used to be at 62. Now it's 66. And it's going to continue to go up. Okay. So it's uh, uh, that's, that's a lot of reason. And then lastly, it's it staves off loneliness. People are happier the longer they work. They feel more connected to uh, socially and, 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 and feel like they have more self-worth. And so a lot of people just don't want to be bored. They want to continue to do things uh, that make them happy. And a lot of times, if you like your job, working can be one of those. Let's go to Dan in, in San Diego. How are you doing, Dan? Good, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was looking sure. at EFU, the ETF for shorting Europe, and... Mm -hmm. I thought, well, mm -hmm. I'd call Justin and see what his thoughts are on uh, Europe, particularly on sovereign debt over there. Uh, have you been following that at all? Yeah, definitely. We're uh, creeping up on a redux of the European crisis we had. What was that back in 2012 time frame, something like that? 
Uh, right. you know, they didn't really solve any problems. All they did was exactly what we did, which was start printing money and buying bonds. Yeah. And it just uh, tapered over all the problems over there. And now that the ECB has cut their bond buying in half and they're planning to exit completely by September, uh, I, I, that's starting to creep up again. So, you know, this is a leverage ETF, EFU is what you're calling about. Uh, right. uh, you know, I don't like the tracking area of it. It's not traded very much. Um, but, you know, if you want to hold it for six months and wait for that explosion uh, of volatility and worry there uh, and then get out, that's, uh, that's something that I, uh, it's not a bad trade. Um, but okay. it's not very liquid and you could have a lot of tracking error between now and then. I also noticed it's got a, a 0.95 expense ratio, so I'll probably look somewhere else. But I was really interested. Well, in 0.95, a point, a 0.95 uh, expense ratio for a leverage ETF isn't really that high, to be frank. Oh, uh, okay. All righty. Well, thank you very much, yeah. sir. Thanks for the call, Dan. Time to end the hour. Reminder: Steve will be in San Jose, California. For individual retirement reviews coming up next month on June 6th. To reserve your hour now, just go to investtalk.com. I'm financial advisor Justin Klein. Steve Peasley and I thank you for making us a part of your day. Let's meet here again tomorrow. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.